Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. And I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. We're podcasting from Northeast Ohio. This is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series, Race and Democracy in Northeast Ohio, a collaboration with the School of Peace and Conflict Studies and the Center for Pan-African Culture at Kent State University. The project includes a 10 podcast episode series focused specifically on the intersections of race and democracy in Northeast Ohio. We also hosted community workshops on the topic of race and democracy and are developing online curricular materials like activities, toolkits, and concept pages. This series is made possible with funding from Mark Lewine and the John Gray Painter Program. If you want to know more about the podcast, check out our website to learn more about the events, stay up to date on new content, and see back episodes of the podcast. You can find us at www.growingdemocracyoh.org. It's nice to be back again with you, Ashley. No, we haven't done it as often uh, this past year, but we, we haven't. But that's been good. Yeah, it's been fun to have our new host, and we got to do it on uh, what I don't know. I guess I'm just going to vote as our favorite guest, right? Um, I mean, I think we say that every time we have a. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I that's true. Guest. But it this is a threepeat, so I think I know. you know maybe that qualifies as our favorite guest. And we got to talk about you know I think probably an intersection of, you know, race, space, and democracy, or, or a, a subsection of that, that we haven't really had a chance to talk about yet. Yeah. So, you know, as we were thinking through um, our conversation, um, you know, today, the episode that you're about to listen to, um, we were really thinking about like, what, you know, what are some of those things that really come out of our conversation? And, and for me, the big piece was really thinking through um, how important it is when we're in, when we're doing the work of um, anti-racism work, if we're doing the work of democracy building through an anti-racist social justice lens, that it's not um, one thing or the other thing, right? That there are multiple elements that go into this work. And so um, today we were talking with Jerry Pena, who's been on the podcast before and has been with us in a variety of different um, ways through the, through, and has seen the Growing Democracy Project grow, which is really fun. But today we were able to really kind of talk through the, the relationship between community organizing um, relationship building, storytelling, um, mobilizing communities and organizing communities, and the um, kind of the more hierarchical structures uh, that tend to evolve from kind of organizing spaces, right? So if organizing eventually becomes an organization, right, <laughs> formal or informal, whatnot, um, you know, we can wind up you know, kind of picking up some of the patterns of negative hierarchical relationships, uh, unhealthy power dynamics, right? And and unintentionally, that doesn't mean that the people that were at the core of it were somehow inherently evil, um, right? But as we begin to create structures, we also can reinforce 
the negative qualities that come from organizations. And so thinking about how you take the skills of organizing um, and bringing people in, but also thinking about how you do the work for racial justice at the top of an organization and that, that both of those are essential to, to doing anti-racism democracy building work. Um, and I, and I don't I'd like to me, it was really powerful kind of way of thinking about um, those spaces. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me that, you know, spaces, we've been talking a lot about spaces and like, uh, you know, this is a community that you live in or, you know, this is a group of people that you are in conversation with or, or you know, a, a someplace that you, you know, volunteer for, but that, yeah, that space is always, is also organizations that yeah. do, you know, some kind of work and that those organizations often, shocker, mimic <laughs> things that are going on in surrounding communities, you know, dynamics that are happening in surrounding communities for good or for bad. Yeah. And that, that is another space at which you can enter and have this conversation. So it was, it was a really fun conversation today. Yeah. So I'm really excited to share um, this episode with our listeners. Um, we have back with us, Jerry Pena. Um, Jerry, uh, at, at, at his heart, um, is a community organizer and social justice practitioner. With over 20 years of experience advocating for people of color and organizing to change policies that have impacted impoverished communities in this country. This work has helped Jerry understand that you must walk side by side with the people and give voice to those who feel voiceless. Jerry has practiced his craft and worked on social issue campaigns like a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented, restoration of rights for returning citizens, and advocating for crime victims survivors in communities of color all over the country. Working deeply in states like Ohio, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, and Washington, D.C., and California around strategy objectives and story of self techniques. Jerry holds a BA in organizational leadership from Baldwin Wallace University with a minor in communications, is a fellow at the James Lawson Institute and a network builder at Neighborhood Connections. He is also the founder of Estrategia, <laughs> a consulting firm focused on leadership development strategies and coaching. So joining us again is the wonderful Jerry Pena. And Jerry, you have been a frequent guest of the Growing Democracy Project. And actually the first podcast episode that we recorded. Uh, I'm wondering for our, our new found listeners, if you could share with them, uh, you know, what what is your story? Yeah. So thank you, Casey and Ashley, for inviting me back. It's always been a pleasure uh, to be with both of you on this space. My story. Ah, Wow. Let me see what I can share in this short time. <laughs> I always I always start by saying I'm a recovering community organizer. You <laughs> know, <laughs> working um, in communities around the country, predominantly communities of color for the last 20 years. Um, born in Chicago, raised in Cleveland, um, married, uh, have a, 
a daughter who's graduating uh, high school next year and a son who's graduating college in a week. Um, and so <laughs> that's so exciting and yeah. so different from when we met. The stories yeah. were later. <laughs> yeah, it was a busy time period. Um, I've transitioned though in the last couple of years from doing underground community organizing to really um, being in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, uh, working with organizations. Um, I always tell people, they say, what do you do? I said, I work with organizations to make sure they treat people like me well. And so <laughs> that's been my job. Um, I, I feel like I'm still organizing, but I'm just organizing within uh, organizations now. <laughs> Yes. Um, which is not that different, actually. You're still door knocking. It's just in a hallway. That's right. Hierarchy still exists. Uh, inequity still exists. And so, you know, my job is to try to figure that out for folks, again, who, uh, who are diverse, not only of color, but, you know, race, gender, and everything else in between. I don't know if that was enough, but that's Yeah. Me. So I actually want to follow up on that. Um, I mean, because it's, goodness. I was actually looking at the schedule and I think it's been two years since we recorded the first podcast episode, yeah. almost to the day, maybe even. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you were one of our early, you know, um, facilitators for one of our mm -hmm. workshops for the, when we yeah. launched in 2019. So um, you're, you've been with us since the very beginning um, mm -hmm. and you've, but you've moved on a lot from organizing, as you said, and you're working with a project um is it gradient thinking? Can you tell us a little bit like about that transition? Like what, yeah. like what was that in terms of moving from organizing to the DEI space? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think for me, I got burned out of organizing. It's a really tough job. And those who are really still on the ground, um, I'm sending you lots of love and energy because, you know, after, after so many years for me, I, I reached a point where I started to realize a couple of things. One, there are a lot of great social justice organizations, including some I've worked for. Um, but within that space, we tend to create the same systems of oppression sometimes that we're fighting um, every day. And so for me, it was like, well, what, what am I doing here? Uh, what do I really want to do in life? Um, but I, I, you know, I started to, to think about, well, what, what is that space that I want to be in? And I, yeah, I always came back to, you know, I want to make sure black, brown, diverse, LGBTQ plus communities are treated well. Um, and, you know, in organizing, we, we sort of, we always think that, which, which is true in most cases, right? That the people can change systems and structures and, you know, we have to take the fight to, to where it's at, right? But I also started to realize that unless the top, right, really wants to change, it's really hard to do this work. And so uh, a couple of years ago, myself, um, uh, two of my colleagues, Victor Ruiz and Robin Hudson, decided um, to launch a consulting firm, Think Tank, called Gradient. And we really wanted to focus on um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, and we wanted to do it differently and, and really focus on people's stories and how their journeys have brought them to where they're at. And create a balance, right, within that structure, because I think a lot of us now are doing this diversity, equity, and inclusion work. But when people think about it, it's like a black and white sort of subject, right? And they don't think about everything else in between and how we have to sort of balance that pendulum. Because if we swing it too far the other way, then 
you know, there's no balance there. So, Jerry, I wonder if I could ask a follow-up question to that. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me that, you know, in this DEI space that, you know, a lot of the work that you're doing is kind of calling attention to the ways in which people with different um, different ways that they identify, whether that is black, whether that is female, whether that is, you know, a, a spectrum of identities that people can hold. Um, but that is probably impacted, the way that work is done is probably impacted by this recent kind of legislative push against, you know, critical race theory, which is, you know, it's an obscure academic theory that is taught really only in grad classes. But for some reason, right, this there's this uh, group of people who have latched onto it and kind of tried to silence any discussion about differences by race or gender or, you know, sexual orientation or gender identity. So do you feel, you know, do you sense as someone on the ground doing this work? that there has been a change in the way that, you know, organizations engage in DEI because of this? That's a great question, Casey. And I would definitely say yes, capital Y-E-S. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like the subject of critical race theory um, has led some folks to think that if you want the history of this country really presented the way um, that it took place, that you're un-American, right? Um, and it just, it ties back to the politics that we've been dealing with in the last 10 years or so, right? Where it's it's uh, us against them sort of conversation. And um, what I've seen within the organizations that we've been doing this work is that the majority of folks want to do this work um, and they want to, you know, they want to make sure that everybody has a voice at the table. Now, there are some folks that we've run into that are like, you know, no, this is, you know, you're going to, what's the word I want to use? I'm trying to be not careful as I say this, but it's it's always like, uh, we want to make sure everybody has a fair chance, but you have to do it the right way. <laughs> I don't know what the right way means to them, right? But uh, I guess there's code in that language. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> I don't know if that and, answered your question, but uh, yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so I have a different question that I'm planning on asking yeah. you, but I have another follow up too because I'm really intrigued by this kind of the the new the think tank work, the consulting work that you're doing, mm -hmm. and like as I'm hearing you, all of your years of organizing very much are present when you're describing your approach yeah. to consulting and DEI, yeah. right? So like the use of storytelling, the relationship building being core. So what it, can I just like add, like what, it, and I mean, and then that's a response to, right? So critical race theory uses the philosophy of counter narratives, recognizing yeah. that people's stories are really powerful and meaningful and their truths are really significant and being able to hear those is really powerful. So I'm just curious, like, how do you approach that storytelling in your consulting work? Yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> question. So one of, we, with every client, we try to create a storytelling session as part of their training. And there's a couple components to it. One, you know, we, we create a structure, not a rigid structure, but like, you know, some questions to really get them to think about what, what they want to share about their life, right? 
Um, one of the questions important to me, it's like, what really shaped your lens to the world? What were those opportunities? What were those interactions? You know, who was it? Was it grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, a teacher, you know, that helped you see the world in a different way, good or bad, right? Um, and then from there, you know, it's, we do all three of our, all three of us partners are executive coaches now. And so we went through, through a coaching training program. And so we, you know, we sit down with folks and just really hear them out and figure out what they want to share and, and how is that beneficial to their team, right? Um, and, you know, from there, we, we create space. You know, we, we try to create the safest space possible for them to tell these stories. But as you know, you know, you all have been doing this work for a long time. There's no such thing as safe space. Um, I, I say it's brave space, right? Um, and then, and then we hear them out. We give them that space. You know, we, we hear them out. And then we, as the facilitators, try to make those connections, you know, their stories, their colleagues' stories, the story of the organization. So going back to organizing, right? Story of now, self, all that good stuff. The structure's there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to, this is in fact the question that I wanted to ask. Uh-huh. So I'll, I'll actually ask the question. Um, when we met years ago, uh, uh-huh. I was getting ready to teach community organizing for the first time. And um, Dr. Brandy Blessett connected the two of us. Brandy's been a guest on the podcast. Brandy's yeah. been a facilitator with the Growing Democracy She's Project. Awesome. Yeah. Her and our organization and our partners in our work. Oh, fantastic. Like Paula. Uh, yeah. Um, Praxis. Yep. Praxis matters. Um, it's, it's so fantastic human. Um, yeah. but we were having a conversation around organizing and we were specifically talking at the time, if I'm remembering correctly about voter mobilization mm-hmm. as a, as a component part of organizing work. Yeah. Um, and there was a, c- a comment you made to me um, that was really, um, significant and it's kind of mm-hmm. resonated for, a, 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 in the work that I do, mm-hmm. um, in the comment you made was something to the effect and I'm uh-huh. borrowing, right. But something yeah. to the effect of you need to get the white people who want to go into organizing to organize themselves, yeah. right. That it's not just about going into communities of color. Um, and I think a lot of this was coming out of um, low voter turnout mm-hmm. and conversations around communities of color engaging uh-huh. in the voting process. Um, but there it's a, it's bigger than that, right. It's about, yeah. Um, what it means to be an organizer and especially kind of some of the parachute organizing uh, that can take place in some spaces. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you could um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, that, that comment and uh, help, you know, flesh out some of that. Yeah. Discussion. So that mindset came from um, me being a young organizer um, and being in spaces where there were, I think some great organizers um, who really wanted to change this country and the world, but had this fascination. And these were white organizers that the way they wanted to do it was through communities of color, working with black and brown folks, LGBTQ plus folks, Asian folks, Middle Eastern folks. Um, But what a lot of us organizers of color started to realize, um, especially as the politics of today were heating up back then, that there were a, a huge, there was a huge segment of this country that was being ignored, and it was middle class, poor white America, right? And so, um, you know, and I think about places like Appalachia, West Virginia, Kentucky, places where um, 
there's a sense still that the American dream is possible, but it's only possible if you stay white. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we would just have these conversations about well, what would it look like for you to go back into those communities and talk to folks, right? And let them know that the differences between, you know, black and brown and other diverse folks in this country and them are far and few between, right? There's, you know, outside of the color of your skin, the economic challenges and, and everything else that we're dealing with is pretty much the same. Um, and so, but, you know, a lot of those folks, they did not want to do that. That was not why they got into organizing. They got into organizing because they thought it was like, you know, the hottest thing to do. It was around, you know, right after the Obama, uh, Obama got elected and, you know, they, everybody around the country started talking about community organizing and it was the hot job. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of folks in the space who are here with really good intentions. But I think we're losing a lot of um, fights in this country in regards to social justice because we're not having the conversations we need to with the right people, right? Me as a brown person, I know the injustices and equities and what we need to do. But, you know, there's, again, going back to poor white folks in this country who are like, well, who do we talk to? Because the left is not paying attention. The right is not paying attention. And so in comes someone who acts like they're paying attention to them and boom here we go on this this road that we're on now i mean you bring up such a good point because there was so much attention paid to obama and and his community organizing background similar attention was paid to stacey abrams right when mm-hmm. she was able to get so many more voters um to come out to vote in georgia and you know uh, all of a sudden this week you know as, as i'll jump to recent events uh by now everybody has heard about the pending you know supreme court decision to nullify roe um and there's been you know this this conversation on uh, in the media of oh well the community organizers are going to come out again um with even hearing some pundits say, uh, oh, well, you, you know, this is, and it's mostly I will say, you know, on Fox News saying, oh, well, this right. was just a, a, this is what the Democrats wanted, right? Um, but, but I don't know. So, you know, as somebody who used to fill this role and you know, maybe, maybe secretly still, still does some. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you think this will change the way that community organizers approach this, you know, coming election in, in terms of how they think about the, the, you know, desired or, or, or the need to really get out the vote to make some change? Well, I would start by saying, I hope so. I hope more folks get involved. I hope we have an influx of thousands of new organizers on the ground to really, um, what I call fight the good fight. Um, we're, I think it's, we're in some pretty dangerous times right now, right? Starts with Roe versus Wade. It could go to Brown versus Board of Education yeah. and, and so on and so on. And, um, and in thinking about that, I do think that voting, this next election, whether it's the primary or the general, it's going to be so important um, because that the narrative, especially in communities of color, poorer communities, um, has been that your vote doesn't matter for so long that that's why right now we're starting to see <laughs> what the Supreme Court just did. Right? It's like, well, 
your vote doesn't matter. We're going to start taking away, stripping all these rights that you have. And that's my opinion. Um, I feel like, you know, I was just talking to a colleague the other day. We need to have organizing boot camps all around the country right now. We need to get folks interested in organizing and just really, you know, um, teaching people about how policies really do shape this country. Um, so I think we're at that point. Hopefully we start to see some of that um, show up sooner rather than later because the next, you know, presidential election is not too far away. So we need to start now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am not a legal scholar. This is yeah. outside of my area of expertise yeah. so far. So to my listeners, this is a, I read an article um, point of clarification, but I was mm -hmm. reading it. At, I think it was in the Atlantic. It might've been in the New York times um, article about the, if in fact this leaked document um, does suggest the direction that the Supreme court goes, I um, mean, they, they follow the structure that has been laid out um, that there, you know, it, it could read as a return to Plessy, right. Um, in terms of a rollback of all sorts of rights, right. That it's, it's much broader than, a reproductive justice issue, as I think a lot of people in the reproductive justice community and organizing communities have always argued that reproductive justice is not isolated to one element, right? That mm -hmm. it is inter um, interconnected with lots of different uh, movements, um, but that the way that the that leaked document suggests is that it could be a rollback of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, really indicative of a lot of different um, concerns. Um, and so kind of a uh, kind of, I, I suppose to to borrow from the language we've been using on this series for race and democracy a lot, like the intersectional solidarity of movements and organizers across spaces, um, it, it you know is is essential at this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I just that was just my platform. <laughs> I don't have a specific question. <laughs> to go um, <laughs> so um, one of the questions that I have for you. Um, really is just thinking about, you know, what you, you reference kind of, you know, I would hope that a bunch of mini organizing boot camps could, you know, take place and pop up. Let me just say that is like a, a dream for sure of like, mm -hmm. would love to do that. Um, and to be involved in helping people to put those together. What would, what do you think as kind of as some of the core elements that you think should, would be a part of that process. Um, given the fact that you've worked in these spaces, you've been to tons of different trainings on organizing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I, I, I mean, you, even in your, your previous comment, you talked about, you know, multiple groups and multiple efforts coming together. I think in order for, for these boot camps or whatever, they would be called to uh, to be successful. Is we need to make the connections um, that we didn't make before, right? I talk. I just. I previously talked about how we left out white poor people in this country while we were doing this work, and it led to where we're at now. I think if we're going to be successful, we need everybody in the conversation now, and we need to really educate folks on how a decision like Roe versus Wade, like a a, a pullback of that decision can affect so many other policies in this country. You know, some people are like, no, it's never going to happen, right? Even a couple of years ago, they would never eliminate your over. And look look what's going on now, right? And so um, I think it's, it's, 
it's deep relationship building, like going back to the tools of organizing, deep relationship building, hearing people out, hearing people's stories, and then bringing them into a space together and making decisions together about what do we want to do now, right? Um, I think that's that's the point that we're at. I also think that um, there needs to be a multi-generational connection. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that we're, you know, in these spaces and conversations right now, there's a disconnect to me between multiple generations in this country and the way they view the world. And, you know, even this war in Ukraine right now, like when I was talking to my kids about it, they're like, what? Like they couldn't even fathom what's going on over there. Right. Like, what do you mean? He just wants to go in there and invade this country. And, you know, because the, the younger generation doesn't see the world that way. They're like, yeah, let's live. Let's, you know, let's love each other. You know, most of the time. Yep. Right. And I yep. love it. I love where they're going. But a lot of us are not there yet. And so. Jerry, one of the things that I have always really appreciated about you is, um, I mean, you have this unique skill to draw people's stories out and, uh, you know, give people a good listening to, <laughs> as my dad used to say. Um, and, and, and I can clearly see how this is a valuable skill in, in the DEI space. I'm wondering what you think about the degree to which exposing more individuals at, you know, whether that is, you know, their, their employer organization or maybe an organization that they volunteer for, wherever it is, exposing more people to diversity and equity and inclusion training. Does that, in your mind, potentially facilitate a greater willingness on the part of those individuals to then turn around and and engage with community organizing in their own communities? Yeah, I think so, Casey. So it's, it's funny. Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because through our work, there are several organizations that we've been working with who now want to go deeper on community engagement. Mm-hmm. So they, they've seen the connections in their own spaces around story and relationship building and how, you know, everyone within that space sort of views the world and it's not the same, right? And so um, they also know that there's a community around them that impacts their work, their resources, and they're trying to figure out, well, how can we have just to build a deeper relationship and a deeper understanding of the folks that we rely on every day to keep our businesses going. And so you're starting to see that more and more. I think it's really important to engage, um, you know, the communities that, that, uh, that you're sort of centered around because that's the only way that we're really going to understand, you know, what people want. Right. But also, um, I always go back to this. Like, I think if, if you're not building the right and deep relationships with the people that, that even if you don't care about that, you depend on, um, then eventually, you know, things will start to unravel and, and it can get ugly for an organization or for a community. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Perfectly. I mean, it brings to mind this idea of, you know, meeting people where they're at. That's right. But being where they're at is in your own community, right? Because you can share it, just geographic space uh, yeah. is, is so important. Yeah. Um, I think the hard part is one of my colleagues says this well, his name is Jack Fitzgerald. Jack always says, you know, it's it's all good doing this work until, you know, until you find out your baby's ugly. <laughs> and then when you find out your baby's ugly, it's like, whoa, do you really want to stay in this work or not, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> because even with people with good intentions, right? They start to find things out that they're like, whoa, is, yeah. is this the path we wanted to go down now that we know mm-hmm. the truths that are out there? Yeah. And sometimes confronting your own truth, right? I, right. I think one of the things that is really powerful that I, I've really kind of has resonated with me through this, um, the Race and Democracy series specifically on the podcast is how much we've talked about different truths, right? That people's worldviews, how they see the world, right? There's different ways of talking about it, um, uh, you know, really shapes their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sharing stories, not just speaking stories, mm-hmm. um, but sharing them um, can not only reinforce kind of the the space that you live in, but also challenge you to think through the I'll speak for myself as a white woman with a PhD in academia who has a lot of privilege of challenging myself and challenging my truths and maybe not challenging my truths, but challenging whether or not those truths are good (laughs) Um, and and holding or universal or universal. Yeah. Like I may have caused harm and how, what, what are the steps that I do to, you know, to, to recognize that own it, um, and so I think that the power of storytelling, you know, is really helpful for the soul at the individual level to, to share and be heard, but also as the recipient of kind of revising one's own story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think empathy is important, like in this work, like you have to have empathy and you, you have to be willing to, to sit down and listen to stories or narratives that you might not agree with, but sometimes there's connection there. So, Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I have another question for you. Um, And this is kind of a a bigger picture question that we've been asking the guests on the podcast for the Race and Democracy series. So, um, you know, just big picture, what are some of of the most important aspects, um, items, things to consider when you're thinking about the intersections or the confluence of race and uh, space within Mm -hmm. our kind of democracy? Mm. It's a big one. Just lob it at you. That is a big one. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to center it around just my ethnicity and culture because I think about this a lot, right? So there's always been this um, sort of um, hope, right? Every election I've been a part of, every voter movement I've been a part of that the Latinx community is going to stand up you know, as a giant and we're going to vote and we're going to change this country. Right. And I think about that, but, and I, and I'm like, well, we're not all the same. Right. So we come from different countries. The polit the political systems in those countries may be very different from each other. Though, though in most countries we share the same sort of language, um, the way we view the world, our morals, our values, are, are really different in most of these countries, right? And so um, just I, I, going back to my experience, I remember being in Florida and doing a lot of voter registration work. And in Florida, there's the famous I-4 corridor. And that's the corridor that you really got to win in order to win an election in the state. And um, so they had me, I was doing a lot of immigration justice work at the time. And so they sent me, I was in Orlando, from Orlando to Tampa, you know, really talking to folks. And Orlando through Tampa has now become the hub for Puerto Ricans in this country, right? So 
a lot of Puerto Ricans from the island have moved there from New York, Chicago. I mean, there's there's over one million from Orlando to Tampa, which is about a little over an hour. So just just put it in that that context, right? Um, so I'm having conversations, and and some of these you know folks are like, well, we're not immigrants, like you know, it's a Commonwealth, and we're citizens if we're born in Puerto Rico. And so even though there was empathy in most of those doors. Some of those doors were, they didn't connect to the undocumented immigrant experience, right? And so, and I say that to say that, you know, a lot of us do a pretty bad job of really trying to figure out what the connections are with people, right? And so, you know, again, centering my culture and, and you know, um, where I'm from, we have to get a lot better at figuring out what, what moves people in this country, right? And it's not just because we're all brown or we all share the same language, right? It's like, what moves people to vote, right? Yeah, and the other thing I would say is like, you knock on some of these doors and I tell you, man, there's folks who are really dealing with some hard, hard issues in life and why voting may be important, you know, keeping the lights on, putting food on the table, making sure, you know, the husband comes home or the kids come home or vice versa is way more important than voting for them. Yeah, our lives are much bigger mm-hmm. than turning out to vote. Yeah. Sure. Right, which is which is the point of, you know, community organizers is when you're in that community, <laughs> you're in conversation with people that can give you, you know, the the insight and that to say and trust you enough to say, mm-hmm. listen, this is an issue I'm tackling, and it has nothing to do with right a, a, a U.S. Senate election or a presidential election, yeah. and you know, more to do with you know, like you know public works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know what? And just going back to the question, Ashley and Casey, that you asked earlier around, you know, do we need more community organizers now that some of these decisions are being made at the federal level? Um, I think about how philanthropy and funding plays a role in that. And I think this time around, it's like, can we have the money to go out there and kick butt and not be tied down to deliverables and like, you know, whatever it is that, that they may want out of their funding. I think it's important to talk about how we really fund democracy in a way where we, we're going to be able to win and not be on the uh, defense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I feel like you could open a whole can of worms around funding. And and I think there are a handful of places that are trying, right? Trying to just fund operations as opposed to fund programs or right. deliverables, but I'm not personally in my work space do yeah. not see a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. So what would that look like? This is more just, I'm opening the can of worms. What yeah. would that look like? Like, you know, just a, a flood of resources. I'm just going to throw out a name from like, you know, Mackenzie Scott to just be like, yeah. and here's operational funding, go and mobilize and organize communities for X, Y, Z issues. Yeah. Or is it something different? I don't know. Or is it like community foundations? working in tandem and just saying, we know the community, we're among the community, let's just pour a lot of money in. Yeah. 
I think it's a it's a it's a little bit of all that, right? Okay. I think when it comes to funding institutions, um, they fall in love with what's hot, right? Like what's what's the next big thing? And I've been in spaces where we've organized these amazing campaigns and really um, have garnered, you know, the support of the community and the community has been the voice in these campaigns. And then all of a sudden that funding runs out and it's on to the next thing and folks are left holding the bag. Right. And so what I mean by funding in a different way, it's like, you know, we have to make sure that when we leave these communities, because most of us who are organizing are not from those communities that we leave them in a better place, right? Even if we don't win, that they have the tools to continue fighting either on that issue or any issue that comes up. Jerry, I'm wondering, how does this look different given that, um, you know, some of the oldest Zoomers, like your son, are now coming, they're getting old enough, they're leaving college or, you know, they've been able to vote for a few years. What does it look like to engage with them, either as a community organizer or just even, you know, in, in as a DEI organization where you know, maybe they don't need the same type of training mm-hmm. <laughs> that some of us of older generations, right, yeah. do need? What is the, what is that difference for these these new groups coming in? I think for me, what I've seen, and again, I'm. I'm still doing some community organizing part-time, but I'm not on the ground ground, right? Um, Is we really have to um, center what they do best, right? So we know, like, I'm just going to take my son and my daughter, always on social media, you know, always using technology, right? It's like, how do we use those tools where maybe they're not on the ground knocking on doors, but they're sending a thousand messages every day, through their social media accounts, right? I mean, I think about like the Arab Spring, right? And how that started was with a, a message, you know, on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it was. And millions of people went out into the street and, you know, changed that, right? And so how do we really um, help them understand that the they might not see those as tools for change or democracy, but they are, and they're on them every day, Right. Um, the other thing that I've, at least, and I'm going to use my kids, I'm not going to say all Zoomers are like, cause I don't know every one of them, right? But they're, they're, they are quicker, um, and more, um, more able to jump on social media than they are to just go have a conversation with a stranger, right? And yeah. so, um, and the people on their social media accounts, even though they may not have never met them physically, to them, they're not strangers through that mode of communication, right? And so how do we use all that to really get folks more involved, right? Because there's far fewer in between uh, younger folks who want to go and knock on doors and, like, actually have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean... F- Fundamentally, it's about relationship building, and it's using different tools of relationship building. And how do you how do you how do you lean into one while training to do the other, and vice versa, like with different people and different skill sets. Um, so I, first, I want to say this has been fantastic talking to you again um, after as three years. As always, um, 
and so I want to end uh, by just asking you, you know, what are, what are some takeaways? What are some words of wisdom that you have for, you know, future community organizers, future um, social movement, you know, activists for people who want to kind of make a difference uh, in their communities? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. One is self-care. Like take care of yourself. This work is really hard and you need balance, right? Um, as someone who's who's been through it. Um, I would say the, the second thing is that, you know, we um, we are the stewards of of you know our communities, our our country, this amazing planet that we've inherited. Um, and we just need to do a better job of really um inserting ourselves into those communities, right? And figuring out, you know, if we want that that community or this country to be better, how do we do it together, right? Um, and so having those deep conversations, being relational, listening to people, um, and, and stretching ourselves, putting ourselves in spaces that we may not like, right? I think, you know, we talked a little earlier about you know, how politically we're divided in this country. And there's some folks who are like, well, I'm not going into that room because that's a red room or I'm not going into that room because that's a blue room. But I can tell you that being in some of those spaces or having conversations who with folks who think differently than me, both politically, economically, culturally, um, I've learned from some of those conversations and, I, and I'm sure some of those folks have learned from talking to me. And so, you know, I think that's important. That's how we grow, is hearing other people's That's stories, right? right? right. <laughs> Jerry, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy Podcast. I'm Casey, and my co-host this week was Ashley. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio. And this series is supported by Mark Lewine and the John Gray Painter Program. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the podcast, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, and swag featuring designs by Donuts and Coffee, head over to patreon.com slash growingdemocracyoh. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about race and democracy.